In my youth, Saturday football, college football, the voice of Keith Jackson. Oh, Nelly. Well, that's what we got here, Carter Braxtonworth. Market call, 1 o'clock on the East Coast. It is Wednesday, the 15th of March. I think for you Shakespearean fans out there, you know what today is. But today is, in fact, a market call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. Yesterday, I had Danny Moses. Today, I have the great Carter Braxtonworth. There is no one luckier than I, CB Dubs. And how great is it to have Danny? Uh, he and I have known each other for 20 years. One of the greats. He is. And as, as are you, by the way. And as we will discuss, you know, so many of your calls have been extraordinarily prescient. I don't know how to spell it, but I know what it means. But let's take a look at the headlines that seemingly dominated some of the news cycle this morning. U.S. producer prices unexpectedly fall, signaling easing pressures. Now, I know you wore an economist hat at one point, and I think the people anticipate or people saw this number and said, hey, wait a second, things are working. But what I tweeted out earlier, and I'm curious as to your thoughts, and we don't have to get all that granular, but what I said is PPI is really a read on the economy. So a PPI basically deteriorating is actually a bad thing. And a CPI is a measure of inflation. And that continuing to be sticky is also a bad thing. So they got bad shit going on on both sides of the equation, CB dubs. Well, that's right. And ultimately, it gets down to whether we will uh, have a contraction where the output uh, contracts, goods and services uh, declines, rather than uh, grows at at a lower rate. And that's what a recession is, right? However, it's measured uh, by the government two quarters. of. But what we know is we're due for that. And the messaging from the layoffs, the messaging from things like PPI, uh, can, the message is that that's likely where we're headed. Take a look at something we've talked about for a while, and that's bond market volatility. And you can actually measure this is in the TVL if you take a look. And the CME Group um, tweeted something out. Obviously, CME Group, a sponsor of our On The Tape podcast, they sponsor Market Call on Tuesdays, as it turns out. But we're going to look at this because we're at levels we haven't seen in 20 three years. And I think we all can go back, harken back to recall that. And maybe it's a good thing that we're at these levels and maybe we will top out. But as I've said, Carter, a hundred times, if not more, bond volatility of this magnitude is not a good thing. And it's typically the precursor of equity volatility. And here we are. Thoughts on this quickly. Well, that's right. It's an it's an extreme reading. And the question is, um, does it likely stay here? No, it, it mean reverts. But the fact that it's happened is uh, is a negative circumstance. It's instability, right? It's mm-hmm. it's um, uh, confidence shaking things like this that ultimately uh, cause problems, right? It 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 is a circumstance that makes people not want to play, commit capital, engage. It makes them want to do all of the opposite things, and that's. Well, you get sell-offs. No, no doubt about it. And I, I've, I said this, and I know you feel the same way, but if equity volatility was one-tenth of this, we'd be talking about it constantly on the network. The fact that people don't acknowledge this or realize this or talk about this is problematic in and of itself. And for you Fed fans out there, and I know there's some of you remaining, I mean, the Fed thinks they can control. They don't control shit. 
And I think it's manifesting itself in all some of these price moves we're seeing. So that's me on my sort of soapbox. Let's take a look at the S&P. Uh, one of the things that we've said, and here's the chart coming up, you know, pretty steep downtrend. You know, we traded down to the 200-day moving average. Carter, I know you know this, but for the new listeners or viewers, 39.40 a week and a half or so ago, we bounced pretty significantly. It's sort of, I don't want to say it forced, but, you know, on the back of that move, Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley said, look, I'm bearish, but tactically you can see a move up to 41.50, being that we held the 200-day moving average. I think we got up to 40.80 or thereabouts, but here we are now obviously below. So if you see this, you know, a moving average that is flattening out, which I guess is an okay thing, but as quickly as that flattens out, that can, can turn to the downside as well. So sort of read me through this before we get to some of the charts that you brought along. I mean, in, in many ways, again, we're, we're stuck with a market that is directionless, despite the spike in February and the collapse of the past seven weeks since then. The market as a level, 38.45, 38.50, is the exact same level it was um, the beginning of the year or untrend the year. It's the same level it was three months ago, six months ago. In fact, the S&P is the exact same level it was more than two years ago. Um, and so, you know, you you pick your, you make your bets. Um, mine is, I remain, that we ultimately have a circumstance of lower stock prices and lower yields. It's not a popular thesis, but I think it's what you're going to see. And um, in the context of that, sure, there's always things to buy and sell. But the important thing is to try to eliminate a scenario that seems the most unlikely. And, and I think we'll all agree, right, it can only do three things, go up, go down, or go sideways. And to my eye, my way of thinking, sideways to down uh, captures 85 to 95% of the odds. Yeah, and as you said, not a popular thesis, um, and that's fine because this is not a popularity contest, but you have been saying that this could play out exactly the way it's been playing out for quite some time. And, you know, I think we've shared similar views along the way, but you've been steadfast in the belief that when rates go lower and they will, it ain't going to be a good thing. And it's playing. I mean, today, if there's any a day of a snapshot to take, today's that day, because all the things that you've been saying for quite some time are playing out right before our very eyes. So let's get into the things that you brought with you uh, and some of the thoughts you have it revolves around gold and the first is a little bit of a you're gonna have to walk us through this but you know you can speak to this um and we're gonna look at some charts on the back end sure just to, what this tries to depict right is we know that equities as an asset class as measured by the standard Poor's 500 had a high and a peak for january 2022 basically 15 months ago thereabouts plus minus and the table simply, columns and, and rows, shows what would be expected, right? That in since then, right, right now the market's down 20%. It was down more mm -hmm. in October, but from the peak to present, peak to present is what we're looking at. The stacking order is right in line with what one would expect, right? Gold is actually up. It's serving its purpose as a hedge. Gold miners, they're still stocks, so people get margin calls. They still sell stocks if they're under pressure. But gold stocks are down one-third as much as stocks in general, mm -hmm. right? And and that's what one would say sh should happen and, and as would be expected, right? Gold outperforms in drawdowns, the metal, the commodity, and gold stocks, while still down in a market that's down, are down so much less. Let's take a look at the gold chart, and it's all relative performance, as you say, which is why the GDX, I will tell you, uh, is hung in there rather well, because to your point, 
there's still stocks. And, you know, on down days of, of magnitudes like we're seeing, I mean, I think 75% of the market, if not slightly more, has a correlation of one to the S&P, meaning that it's going to sell off regardless. There are obviously outliers, but you're smart. You're bright in pointing out the fact that there's still stocks. But with that said, they've actually outperformed the broader market considerably. Here's a gold chart. Um, you know, it's tough on the eye, and it's been a difficult one to navigate, but you're going to help us. You're going to walk us through this. <clears throat> right. So this is a gold chart over the past two years with no lines, no moving averages, which is to say no arrows, no judgments, no conclusions. But let's put in some. That's what my eye sees. Let's mm -hmm. maybe take it away and put it back. One could say, who cares what your eye sees? That's just you just drew some colors like a kid on a, on a okay. But that's what my eye sees. Let's put in a final iteration. I think ultimately, right, we're going to move up and out from this range, and that gold is something you want to be in versus not. And if it gets down to in or out, long or short, playing or not playing, I want to be in gold and not in stocks. I agree with you. You know that I've shared that view. You know, people will say, okay, Guy and Carter, how do you play it? I see a bunch of questions in the comments section. Um, I've been a steadfast believer that if this plays out the way I think it will, you do not want to be in GLD. You want to be in some other instruments. And uh, Danny Moses talks about the PHYS, the Sprott Physical Gold ETF is a way to play it. Now, I'm not necessarily going to you know drill down on you on this one but your thesis in gold i think is correct and i'd look at this and maybe you know maybe i'm wrong but you do you see like a reverse head and shoulders here or am i reading too much into it well yeah that's i mean sure it's it's a it's a so they're head and shoulder tops and they're head and shoulder bottoms right they're reversal formation something that's changing direction this is a well-defined head and shoulders bottom and it projects to much higher levels if and as it is concluded if the pattern plays out. Exactly. And I'll, and I'll amplify that and say the following. You know, there might be a lot of people out there that are talking a bullish game or that are bullish in gold, but the commitment of trader reports and some of the things that we look at suggest that although people may be bullish, people are not long. Now, that's not nuance. That's an important distinction because what's going to wind up happening is when gold finally gets on the radar screen of some of these larger funds – it's going to be at significantly higher levels. So we're going to get, I happen to think Carter's right. We're going to continue to grind higher, but the real move is going to take place when you see actual money flows from some of the market participants like hedge funds. Now, central banks have been buying gold hand over fist. It has not manifested itself in the price, but when you start seeing hedge funds and some of these bigger institutions start to buy it, that is typically when you get sort of these, um, dramatic moves. Sometimes it's to the downside as they're getting out, and we've seen that historically. And I think we're on the precipice of it happening to the upside. Now, I don't know what the trigger points is. I don't know how their algorithm is set up, but I will tell you they'll start buying gold at higher prices, not at lower prices. And then that might seem counterintuitive, but trust me, I've been doing this a long time, and I know <coughs> how that sort of works. You brought with it, you also a bunch of numbers, a bunch of plus and minus signs that you're also going to help us navigate here because this, to me, is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, there's I, maybe we spend a second on this. There are there are three only three groups, right? There are people who never own gold, don't want to do it. They make fun of it. That's fine, and they say I don't believe in it in any capacity, not only as a long term hold but as a hedge. There are people who don't want to own gold, basically, but will embrace it as a hedge. And then they're gold bugs. They always have it. Mm -hmm. So let's address 
whether it is a hedge or not. This table does that. It's not my table. It's not Guy's table. It's just the table. <laughs> and here's the, here's the inconvenient fact for anyone who thinks or argues that gold is not a hedge, the final column. <laughs> so what you have is every single drawdown of greater than 20% in the history of the S&P from an all-time high. That's the red column in the middle. You got the high of the date, the market low, the drawdown, and then gold's return right next to the drawdown, and then the delta, the difference. And so that fourth, that final column is all green. I mean, there's it's incontestable. And that's what we looked at it originally. I mean, right now, gold is doing its job again. And yet people kind of make fun of it. Well, okay. So that makes it well, more for the rest of us. I agree with that. It's interesting, the outlier being in the early 1980s. And, you know, there's probably reasons why I'd have to go back and look exactly. But, you know, that one sticks out. But what really sort of reverberates is exactly, you know, you put these moments in time. I mean, you're not making it up. The numbers are what they are. And, you know, if you'd see where we are now and what's going on in the world, it stands to reason that that mean, which is up 44 percent, we probably see that, you know, and, and I don't think that's extreme to see it. And, and it suggests exactly it's sort of the outcome we just talked about a few minutes ago. So I appreciate you bringing this along. We'll put it on our website. I'm sure you have it up on Worth Charting as well. Let's take a look at oil because I've had a lot of things wrong. I've had some things right. But man, oh, man, the oil market. And, you know, it's funny. You know, I try to I tell people all the time, don't be dogmatic, but I fall into the trap because, you know, I've wanted to remain bullish. Yet, if you look at this chart, it would suggest, you know what, it's really struggling. Well, today seems to be that capitulation point. But what I will submit, and I think you agree, this might be sort of that last gasp, the downside before things start to move again. And you've brought up trades like this before. So let's talk about oil. Well, the very last time we were talking about together, my thesis was higher. It's done the exact opposite. It's collapsed. But it's such a collapse that this is a case where I would double down. It's usually wrong, almost always wrong, to add to a loser. Um, but this is precipitous. Oil is dropping in response to general uh, risk, de-risking of risk assets, to a bank crisis, who knows what. But you're talking about a 20% decline, $81 plus a barrel now sitting here at 65 in a matter of six, seven sessions overdone. Uh, let's put some lines in for fun. I mean, clearly it's broken trend, but I think you'll get a snapback here. So if you have the courage, you have the capital, and you have the patience for new money, for sure. And if you're in, I would add to this um, bad uh, long, because it's been bad. It's been bad. You have another longer term chart, I think, that sort of maybe illustrates, put, it contextualizes yeah. some of this stuff. Well, so it's this, this next two are kind of fun. So this is, now again, we, uh, you know, the data that I have sadly doesn't go back to 73, 74. Those are harder to get. Um, and we know that that was the great oil spike of uh, OPEC and so forth. But the chart here is the all data chart for oil as it stands. The more importantly is the next one. And this is adjusted for inflation. And this is the thing. Oil is the same level it was in 1985, mm -hmm. adjusted for inflation, which is to say oil is not, quote, expensive. Um, has that have anything to do with making a good trade here? No, but I thought I'd introduce it just because it's a, an interesting point. It's a factoid. It, it, it is, um, it's something to consider. It's not as though at $66 a barrel, oil is such a high absolute price, but adjusted for inflation, it's really $22 a barrel. 
It's interesting, Geary, if you want to pull it up, and Geary's here every day, proxy for economic activity, it's a basic relationship. He's 100% right. I shouldn't say he. He or she is 100% right, and I appreciate them pointing that out. Um, But what I will say is this. Yes, I agree with that. And yes, clearly economies are slowing down, but there's also a supply-demand imbalance that's been going on for quite some time. So you know, maybe but for that, and that's a term you use from time to time, Carter, we'd be significantly lower. So maybe the only reason we're here is because of that imbalance. But, you know, I look at this and also understanding that at some point, um, the Biden administration is going to have to buy back the SPR that they've released. And by the way, you know, I said it at the time, I thought it was a disastrous move. Um, But I will tell you in retrospect, I mean, if they're commodity traders, they've traded this in extraordinarily well. Now, you also have to understand there's two parts of the trade. You put a trade on. Uh, a lot of times that's the easy part, Carter. Taking it off is sometimes the difficult part. But with right. that said, you know we're at levels that they suggested they would start to replenish. So I think that should be theoretically supportive as well. Yeah. I, I mean, all these things come into it. But I guess what's so curious, if you look at all commodities, whether it's the grains, right, or uh, corn, wheat, soybeans, or the softs, from sugar to cocoa to cotton, even copper, oil is in a particularly aggressive uh, route here. It has, it's almost like a mini crash to have dropped 20% in six sessions. I think it's extreme. And again, my hunch is to step in and do buying when everyone else is dumping it. I'm with you on that one, understanding that I've been wrong on that for you know a bit of time as well. And the equities today, not that I want to necessarily look at them, but you know a lot of the equities are getting lambasted today. So Maybe you're starting to see capitulation in that arena, and we'll see how it plays out over the next couple sessions. Yields, we started talking about it. Um, we, you brought some charts with you as well, so let's take a look because these moves, as we – listen, as illustrated with that volatility chart that we showed you are I'll, – I'll use the word dangerous, but are extraordinary. So the human condition we all know is to be very um, – influenced by what's going on at the moment. And so when we started getting back above 4%, the great hue and cry, we're going to five, they'll never stop tightening. Now, of course, the streets reversed all that. These are no, there are no lines on here. Rates have been topping for a long time. Let's put some lines in. So let's go back and forth. There's lines, no lines, lines. What we have is a, a head fake out through the top, classic stuff. And then we've undercut the trend line in effect for the past two years. Uh, to me, it, it very much is low rates. Another way, let's look at the plane chart again mm-hmm. and now put in the key June high. I mean, that is the, there's the thing. I mean, think about it. That's June and we're now March of the following year, right? So you're talking about, uh, what, 10, 9, 11 months, however you want to count it, go forward a few, go back a few. But here, if rates are really going higher, why in the hell are they the same level as they were in June last year? Despite all of the Fed talk and all of their tightening and all of the new payroll numbers and ADP numbers, and it's all so robust, where's the 5%? That was the consensus on the street. Five and a half, it's never going to stop. And here we are at three and a half and we're going lower. And this is not good for equities. That's the real perversion. It means that something's wrong. It's lower prices for stocks and lower yields is the way it ultimately should end which ultimately ends with higher gold. Which is something you've said for a while and you're sticking to your guns and it's playing out right before our very eyes. You have a longer term chart as well in terms of yields and this goes way back. Yeah, and one we've all enjoyed looking at together and it's always good to relook and re-examine. 
incredible, yes? Now, this is log scale to put in context just how extraordinary the COVID-related uh, plunge was. We got down to 35 basis points of 10-year money, which is incredible. And then the equal and opposite incredible ricochet, right? The plunge is incredible. The ricochet is incredible. But now what? And uh, my thinking is, as depicted by the red arrow, that we will come back to that very important trend line, which is definitely below three, and it's more like two and a half. So here we are, you know, at three and a half plus minus, I think we'll, we'll settle in somewhere around 275, 265. Which leads me to some of the questions we have in the comments section. So with that, and there are no foregone conclusions, we understand that, but we obviously try to make um, measured and I guess, educated guesses on the back of things that we've seen historically. But there will be people out there that say, okay, Carter, if you're right and yields go lower, that should be bullish for high valuation, high growth technology stocks. And one of the companies that people have been talking about in the chat, because I've been scrolling, so I apologize for my eyes looking to the my right, but is Apple. So I don't know if we can pull up an Apple chart on the fly, but I think last I looked, I think Apple was trading around 151 or thereabouts. Listen, I'll tell you, as wrong as we've been or wrong as I've been, a lot of things, we thought Apple could trade down to 125. It literally traded down to 125. We saw the bounce. Uh, I guess the question is, is this a pair of twos here or does, did the bounce basically um, exhaust itself and is a test of that moving average a foregone conclusion? And what happens if and when we get there? A lot to unwrap, but sure, I know you can sure. handle that. Um, let, let's do two things. Let's do a little fundamentals and let's do the charts. We'll start with the charts. What, do, what to my eye this is, is a pair of twos, right? Is there really a lot of immediate and important upside? One could say, oh, maybe it's going to go up two, three percent. Okay. Who cares about that? Is this in a position to deliver returns looking out six, nine, 12 months that are meaningful, that compensate you for the risk of ever owning a stock in the first place? I would say no. So to my eye, it's a pair of twos. But let's let's do. I'm just I just pulled up the, the income statement here for fun, and and just to be clear about this, there's and there's no way around this, right? Net income in 2015 was 53 billion, mm -hmm. and in 2019, five years later, it was 54 billion. Mm -hmm. No change in net income from 2015 to 2019. And guess what happened in 2021? Net income doubled because of COVID, right? Now. <laughs> You have no growth in net income for five years. Then you double your net income because of a pandemic or for whatever reason. And where is the growth from here? There is no growth. Now, maybe one could say, yes, but it's a safe stock. It's the safest stock. They've got all that cash. All of it put it into a bowl, mix it up and come to a conclusion. The chart, the fundamentals, the valuation, the cash, the fact that Buffett's the biggest holder. Buy, sell, or hold. I would say, gosh, I'd rather do almost anything than this. I'd rather, because you know what the real problem with this is? You could be in this and just be stuck doing nothing. Yep. That's worse than being wrong. If you buy something like oil and it goes down, you know what to do. Get out. You buy something and it's right, you make money. But being stuck spinning your tires is the worst thing of all. Because you know what happens with that? There's something in our business we call opportunity costs because yeah. what winds up happening is, you know, you become solely focused on, and we have Apple up, so we'll use that as an example, Apple. And, you know, you, you're you unable to look at or get into other more attractive trades. And I think, listen, I'm not an Apple hater. I Personally, I don't give a shit either way about Apple, but I will tell you 
for all you Apple lovers out there, Apple doesn't give a shit about you either, just so we understand ourselves. And I don't know if we can do a longer term chart here in Apple, but you've heard countless times, you know, own, don't trade it, which I understand when it's making all time highs historically. But, you know, this is a stock over the course of, I would say, the last seven or eight years. You have seen Carter 25 to 40 percent um, peak to trough declines in this name. So it's a tradable instrument, just like anything else, by the way. So I think that's worth pointing out. Yeah. And here, too, Apple is. You know, it's the same price it was in January of 2021. So it's all of 21, all of 22. Here we are well into 23. At the end of the day, you're talking about an ask that has made no progress, despite being higher, that's true, but made no progress in two plus years. And one could say that's great because it's building its valuation. Mm -hmm. It's getting cheaper and cheaper and ultimately it'll go higher. Okay, but that's long-term thinking. Here and now, there's so many things, so many chances to really blow it, which is fine, nothing wrong with being wrong, or to make it. But this is not one of them. I agree with that. And obviously you have that in our world, we call tail risk of the potential for, you know, this Chinese Taiwan US rhetoric continues to get ratcheted up. One has to wonder what happens to Apple under those circumstances. And again, I'm not hoping it happens. I'm not saying it will happen, but the chance of it happening is clearly out there. Another uh, company that people are asking about vis-a-vis the SMH, but is NVIDIA, which we've talked about. And listen, I will tell you, you know, we thought it could bounce a few months ago or when it, you know, within reason. I think you said it as well. This is more than a bounce now. So I don't know if we can pull up an NVIDIA chart. But, you know, you talk about a stock that went from extraordinarily cheap in the fall to extraordinarily expensive now. And I don't know necessarily, you know, I'm a big believer in mean reversion to a certain point. And when you get a few standard deviations away from a moving average like we are now, it's to me, it's just a matter of time before we do in our world something called a back and fill. And I'm not looking to tee you up in NVIDIA. I'll tell you, though, you know, a stock currently trading probably 60 times next year's numbers, 20 times revenue or so. I mean, that's not cheap in this environment. Thoughts yeah. here in NVIDIA, because I think to a certain extent, if you have a view on NVIDIA, you almost have a view on the SMH. Right. So obviously, NVIDIA has been the standout among uh, things that are decent AMD or things that are terrible, Intel. Um, but the question is, it's just how far is above its moving average? And also, to put in context, we know it had a great earnings result, and it gapped up on that day. And on that day, and that was the, I guess, the 23rd of February, the stock's high was 238. And here we are now, March 15, and it's 238. So, yes, that's incredible relative strength. The market's going down, and you're going, you're unch. Your relative strength line is going straight up, but it's just, it's full. What is the follow on act from here to take it higher? So, if one is long, to my eye, you trim, you sell calls, you do something uh, before just, uh, as they say, someone does it for you. This is an interesting comment that somebody's making. <clears throat> How does the market jump? And I think while we've been on, the market has bounced a bit. I'm not getting crazy here one way or another, but the NASDAQ has bounced and people are saying, How does that happen? So, I'm going to take a shot at it, and maybe you can sort of jump on the back end of my answer. But, you know, in low vol periods, you typically don't see extreme moves in the market. You know, people sell volatility, and they get rewarded for being short vol. You sell something, you get paid for it, right? Um, but you also then limit your upside. You basically earn what you sold something for. But when you sell something that you don't have, there's also risks associated with it. So, for people that have been short volatility for so long, 
and enjoying it. Well, when vol spikes like this, we have something called negative gamma. We used to call it bad Greek. It doesn't matter. What it means basically is you start chasing your tail. So the farther the market goes down, the more you're required to sell vis-a-vis -vis those short options. And then conversely, as the market starts to rally in your face, you have to buy. And the higher it goes, the more you have to buy. Now, people say, what are you talking about? Trust me when I tell you, when you're in these short vol trades, um, it feels good when you're right. Man, oh man, it's painful when you're wrong. And as vol approaches 30, you're going to start seeing more and more moves like this, Carter. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, it is always a mystery, right? What makes the queue or anything going that's going down and down and down or something that's going up and all of a sudden stop going up and start reversing? It, 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 it's an unknown thing. It, it's just a certain number of orders come in. So here's what I would announce. Have you ever watched those big flocks of birds that all of a sudden start moving in one direction or the shoals of fish? Is there a lead bird? And everyone's watching him and then they all start. No, it's just one of those things that are, you know, wow, the whole damn thing shifted. And so what's because someone put in a buy order and someone else. And then, of course, their algorithms and technicians and all sorts of junkies like, wait a minute, it's starting to stop going down. Wait a minute, there are three ticks up in a row. And then it becomes self-fulfilling to some extent. People say, oh, it stopped. Let me run this. And then if it abates, it but there is no answer to that. It's a great question. I've always wondered. And I will tell you, there is no answer. Just sometimes in a period of great weakness, the weakness starts to abate and reverses. And conversely, in a great run-up, a stock is up and up and up. And all of a sudden, wait a minute. There's no, there's no one left to buy, and it starts fading and fading. It's just one of those things. Think of the those flocks of birds in the sky that all of a sudden all pivot. And again, there is no lead bird that they're all watching. Never is like those starlings out there. there but that's no for another bird. show. Carter, you always bring it. I appreciate it. Thanks for obviously lending your expertise to this show. We can't do it without you. I want to thank FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They're also our data provider. Uh, the audience has been great. Thank you for your questions. I try to go through and scroll to the best of my ability, which is limited, as most of you know. I will be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi. And, of course, we're going to get some shit dropped by Butters as well, I'm sure. See you later, folks. See you later.